There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Just hurry this the f up because I think I left a pot of lead melting on the electric hot plate in my bathtub. Pork is back. But it's his face, you guys. It's the look on his face. And it's just peeking out from behind this young woman. Exposing your weak fish hole game on a uh, 4.5 star fishing podcast is it's kind of trial by fire. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that's parents were too cheap to spring for the birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, allowing it to select only two friends to bring to dinner at Pizza Hut. I'm Joe Cermelli. Pizza Hut. I'm Miles Nolte, <laughs> and I really do hope that the theme this week is not Chuck E. Cheese, because even when I was a kid, I never liked Like, I never liked that place when no? I was 10. No, the pizza was terrible, and those animatronic bears are creepy. They're not they, fun. Yeah, they, they were, but... I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't even think they had Chuck E. Cheese in Hawaii. Like what? that never crossed my mind. No, I, I, I thought that that Come intro on. was going to get a total like WTF response out of you. I never, no. I, you, I figured you went to like Petey Poys or Mikey Mac salads or something. That's <laughs> offensive. First. Uh, Good. And my favorite was Sammy Spam. All right. And if you've never, if you've never had Sam Musubi from a gas station, you're missing out. Anyway. What the hell is going on here? What is the theme? What are we talking about? Really? Come on, man. It, birthdays. It's our uh, birthday. Oh, this yeah. is episode 52, which means yeah. our bullshit 90s laced, like somewhat fishing related jargon has been entertaining the masses in a uh, 4.5 star fashion for a, for a full year now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Four and a half whole stars. Time flies when you're making bad TV references and researching the end times for fish. We've mm-hmm. uh, we come a long way, sort of. <laughs> kinda, think, maybe. Kinda. I, the, look, it's been a fun year to say the least. Yes. I've had, I've had, yes. I've been having a terrific time making the show with you, and uh, I figure we must be doing something right 
because the Ben inbox is always full. We're always hearing from nice things from uh, from our listeners, and we've conned at least the good people at Thirteen Fishing into believing we have actual angling skills and knowledge. So Hallelujah. we're winning. Hashtag winning. <laughs> you know, they're. I don't think they're sponsoring this show because we can quote Billy Madison and talk about taking dumps in a live well. Anybody no. can do that. That's right. just simple. They sponsor <laughs> us because when we tell you their dual pitch topwater lure rips it up in choppy water, you can believe what we say. <laughs> we are trustworthy, at least on that front. <laughs> You really can though. Like I'm I'm not really playing around anymore because that is the truth. I'm actually a really yeah. big fan of the larger size duel. And if, for those of you unfamiliar, that's like their spook style bait. Um and I'm partial to the colors albino rhino and natty light. And I'm I'm really not joking around, right? They designed those baits with like a super ramped up nose buoyancy. Mm-hmm. Because you know how like in choppy water your average spook wants to dive when yep. you're trying to work it in a little wind chop or something. The dual resists that. That nose stays oriented up, and it walks really pretty in chop. No lie. I fished them a little bit for stripers already, but that's going to come in really handy like in the late summer months when we're doing mahi offshore, and you get that that wind ripple in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll stay chugging on the top. Mm-hmm. All that, that techie R&D work, that stuff's <laughs> great. But yeah. I, I, and I, I'm glad that you explained all that. Very important. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give props to whoever names their color schemes. Oh, totally. That's that's who I want to shout out right now because, like, you know, hydraulic engineering to make surface baits perform better in choppy conditions, it's impressive. But Natty Light as a color name, yeah. that's genius. If you guys are hiring just a full-time lore namer, do let me know. Like, that'd be a great job. That would. It's <laughs> the only <laughs> place I could get that job. Right, yeah. All right. So so we've given props to 13 both for what they make and, and how they name it because it's all... Great, but I have a question for you. Yes. How does a podcast celebrate a birthday? What does that look like? Oh, it's easy. We just take the day off and sign off immediately. Yes! No, we're I'm, going fishing? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I wish we were going fishing. Damn um, No, but I was thinking about like the long way we've come, at least in terms of, of segments, since we started, yes. right? And a lot of really great friends and anglers have been on this show in the last year, and we thank them very much for helping us out. But if you want to be technical about it, our very first guest ever, ever, was legendary surfcaster and striper chunking expert Bob the Garbage Man Breton and Ananuski. Yep, he was. That was that was the very mm-hmm. first voice anybody yep. heard besides ours. And it was it was Bob calling in a surf fishing report from Atlantic City, New Jersey, mid pandemic mm-hmm. in episode mm-hmm. one. That's right. And and Bob's been back a few times, right? But now year later, we have our Covering Water segment, which we designed to allow you guys to get like a little bit deeper look into who our guests really are. And hundreds, maybe maybe thousands, <laughs> maybe hundreds, hundreds of thousands of you have written in since we started Covering Water and said, hey, you guys have a direct line to one of the greatest surf casters to ever live. Why are you not doing a Covering Water with Bob G, right? There's there is at least it's a little bit though. of truth to what you just said. It's <laughs> a very, tiny very bit. small. <laughs> I should say it's not it's not that we don't have any desire. It's not like we're lacking desire to make that happen. It's just that 
Bob's not exactly tech savvy. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's why if you if you listen to the show, you know he usually calls in his reports from public phones and leaves a voicemail. That's what he can do. Bob only communicates through single digit sign language or via that last <laughs> phone booth that exists in New Jersey. It's not like we could just call him up on his cell and be like, hey Bob, let's get you on the show. It doesn't work that way. But in yep. honor of our one year anniversary, as a throwback to how we got started, we put in the work and we finally managed to arrange a covering water interview segment with the legend himself. I'm going in. Cover me, Porkins. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. So joining us today for covering water, uh, we've got none other than our own resident striper surf chunking expert, Bob, the garbage man, Breton and Ananuski. And we haven't heard from you in a while, Bob. And I must say, I'm shocked that you actually harness the technology necessary to join us on this podcast. Yeah. Can, can you hear me and shit? Are we recording yet or whatever? Yeah, we are. Great. I'm actually at the Atlantic City Public Library at the moment. The miserable lady that works here set this whole thing up in the computer laboratory or whatever the <laughs> it is. I didn't even know they had computers in here. But in fairness, only time I ever come in here is when I'm fishing off Tennessee Avenue and have to take a shit. So, you know. Hmm. Way to utilize public resources, Bob. Way to go. Who, who's talking now? Niles? Miles. It, it's Miles. You, you, you know my name. Miles. Yeah, yeah, right. I know you like poetry books and shit, but you hate this library, Niles. All I got is five copies of Merv Griffin's autobiography and ten books from the 80s about playing Keno. But they keep the soap and toilet paper full, so your tax dollars are hard at work on my asshole. <laughs> it's money well spent. Uh, money well spent. So listen, uh, part of the reason we were eager to have you on is because I, I've kind of been dying to ask, man, why the leap to social media? You've been so vocal over the years uh, about uh, hating on the internet, right. yet you, you've you've already racked up nearly 3,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah, well, well, the short answer for you there, Joey, is money. I see. Yeah. yeah. Somebody told me you make big monies on the internets. Of course, I ain't made a nickel yet, but I look at it like playing the lottery. It's a small investment, but maybe someday you hit, you know? But tell you the truth, I don't even own one of them walkie-talkie phones you've probably got glued to your faces. My neighbor's kid got one from that cricket store, and he's a little slow and useless anyway, so I basically worked at a deal where he follows me around and just types whatever the fuck I say and puts it on Instabook, you know? So so what, what's the kid getting in exchange for, for transcribing yeah. all your wisdom there, Bob? Tell us. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he ain't the brightest bulb, Niles. I buy him a pack of Big League Chew once a week, and I told him when I get to 20,000 fans, he'll buy him anything he wants on Phillips Head Andy's table at the flea market. <laughs> that sounds really, that sounds fair, Bob. Uh, I think, I don't know. Look, we, we, <laughs> we didn't really bring you on to discuss your thoughts on OSHA policies, you know? Uh, but we, so, I mean, we could make a whole, whole segment around that, I think. We could. I, I, I'm sure you have some thoughts on OSHA policies. Yeah. Um, but we, we brought you on to learn more about who you really are, okay? And we already know you're one of the most revered surf casters ever to grace the striper scene. You're correct. We already know you've caught more big stripers exclusively chunking bunker than pretty much anyone else on the planet. Also correct. But but our covering water segment is designed more to find out who the man behind the skills really is. As long as I'm making enough for beef eaters or whatever to cover the cost of the moons over Miami at Denny's, I'll cover whatever the f*** you want. Yeah, yeah, but we'll we'll talk to payroll. See if we can get you some moons yeah. over Miami. You should be all set. Yeah, yeah, do that. 
I will. I will. But in case I'm, I'm pretty sure you haven't listened to this show, Bob. So I'm, I'm going to tell you how this goes. <laughs> yeah. So what we do on covering water is we put two minutes on the clock. All right. And we rapid fire questions at you. And the whole idea is you can't think too hard about your answers. You just you just have to react. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's easy. I do this once a week at the Social Security office of the COVID clinic, but they give you even less time to answer. So, you know, piece of cake. Great. Then after that, what we do at the end is we give you one full minute to expand on any of your answers. All right? Sound good? Yeah, whatever. Sounds great, Niles. Let's just hurry this the fuck up because I think I left a pot of lead melting on the electric hot plate in my bathtub. All right, we'll move it along then. We'll move it along. Right. Okay, here we go. What's the best vehicle you ever owned? <laughs> that's easy. My old Ford Pinto and my Pontiac Aztec that got jacked. That, that's two, but we'll go with it. All right, graphite or fiberglass? Yeah. Only twerps like Niles use graphite. If you weren't so devoted to striped bass, what do you think you'd fish for? Stripers. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Oh, shit. CCR. And I traded my Ford Pinto for them tickets. <laughs> if you could fish with any celebrity, living or dead, who would it be? Oh, that's easy. Tim the Toolbag Taylor. But he can't bring that mook with the flannel with him. <laughs> your, your favorite summer cocktail is? Hot Sambuca. All right. If you were forced at gunpoint to tie on a lure for stripers instead of using a chunk, which lure would it be? I'm taking the bullet, Joey. Okay. Ooh. All right. What's the worst job you ever had? <laughs> Doing this right now. All right. If you had to guess, how big was the biggest striper you ever caught? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Between 87 and 95, somewhere in there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Are you bald under that wool hat you always wear? Ask your mother, Niles. Ooh. All right. Uh, how about Ouch. this? What's your favorite vacation destination? I'd like to soak a chunk in Thailand one day, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I I don't. Yeah, of course you don't. Your your favorite movie is uh, uh, I, I don't tell mom the babysit is dead, probably. Wow, uh, that's time. Okay. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Really? That's the movie. Uh, okay. I question yeah, whether you... classic. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's time. So, yeah, uh, perfect. I, yeah, okay. Well, let's wrap this up. I got to run. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang, hang yeah. on, Bob. Dude, we're you, settled you, you, you still got You still got a minute to expand on any one of your answers to explain yourself. Listen, Jesus Christ. I'm like 90% sure I accidentally left that burner on. And the last time that happened, the old lady next door called the dipshit super, which resulted in him discovering that I ran an extension cord up her fire escape to steal her electricity. So unless you want to up the price to cover my electric bill or the price of 200 pounds of custom 20-ounce pyramid stickers, hurry the f*** up. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, which one are you going to answer? Which one are you going to expand on? Pass. Can I pass? No. No. No, not after you telling us you got like a ninety-pound striper. You gotta, you're yeah. gonna have to tell us more about that. Ugh, for Christ's sake, that had to be in '79 or '80. That's how much I figure it weighed before I gave it to Kenny to Benny. He dropped another four to five pounds of lead down its throat before he took it to the Chinese place next to the other Chinese place on Baltic Avenue. But you're looking for some epic story, and there ain't one. It ain't a bunker chunk. I really in. Stevie the cop clubbed it with a piece of reba, and I gave it to Kenny for a pack of smokes, a half a spool of 60-pound pink Andy monofilament, and a pair of clean socks. 
Anyway, I know how much you appreciate me being here and how much I appreciate my time. So goodbye. Shit, I think he gone. He gone. Yep. Yep. I think I think that was all we're going to hear from Bob. Well, Niles, I I I knew that was going to happen. I'm I, I'm uh, honestly shocked that we got that guy to hang around as long as he did. But you know what, man? Of all the brief interactions and encounters I've had with Bob, I feel like I learned so much that I didn't know this time. It kind of mm-hmm. served its purpose. Mm-hmm. Covering water did its job. No, know? there there were he didn't mean to let some things slip, but he did on accident. The clues yeah. in there, they were they were they were just little missteps on his part and they're subtle, but I think they're valuable. He he referenced a super and a fire right. escape. Right. So is he does he live in a, does he rent an apartment? Does he that squat is, in an apartment? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean. Like that little thing. Like I, I just assumed like he lived in a shed somewhere. I, I thought he just slept on moving buses. Like I thought he slept <laughs> on the transit authority. That's what you know, I thought. That, that's also a real possibility. But while I don't think the guy has many possessions, he does at least have multiple surf rods. So yeah. like, yeah. I, that's the only reason I, I might disagree. But like that, that small nugget. Right, it like hints at a whole universe of of Bob domesticity. Like, can you picture Bob doing dishes? Get out of the shower. Oh, ah! Dishes are done, man. I feel like I finally learned something about the guy. That and like, where the hell did "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead" come from? Uh, I right? wish I I did not see that one coming. No, I was expecting like I don't know. Lee I don't Marvin's know what I was expecting. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. I, I just wish he'd stuck around long enough to expand. Like that was the answer I wanted to hear more about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I guarantee, I'll bet you anything, he's never seen it. It was probably it was probably just the last VHS, like dusty VHS he saw sitting on some flea market table, and he just went with it. It just popped into his head. So I bet you the story wasn't Maybe. that great. Maybe. Uh, which is funny because that's sort of what we do on fish news. Just grab the first headline with the word fish in it and roll with it. That escalated quickly. So before we start this week's news, I feel like I feel like we ought to address the sort of unresolved cliffhanger from last week's news. You mean you mean when when Phil blew himself up in a janky boat that he made out of petroleum barrels? Real real tragedy there. Very sad. Just because we have chiseled abs and stunning features. It doesn't mean that we, too, can't not die in a freak gasoline fight accident. Yes. I mean, truly tragic. But that's not actually the cliffhanger I was referring to. I mean, you know, good news on on the Phil Health front, though um, he's not dead. I'm still alive, only I'm very badly burned. The cliffhanger I was referring to is that we still don't know who won uh, last week's fish news, which that's a problem problem. for me. It's a problem. And we're, we're, we're terribly... Terribly concerned for Phil's well-being, and we wish him a speedy mm-hmm. recovery and all that. But uh, I mean, Phil has a sacred responsibility. He does. The, and, <laughs> he does and if yeah. we're being honest, and we should, he was derelict in his duty by by yep. not choosing a winner last week. And I feel like his accident was, shall we say, karmic? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, look, we certainly wouldn't uh, wish such a tragedy on anyone, no. especially not our illustrious audio engineer. No. Um, but he he was kind of asking for it. And, and the fact is the show must go on. 
Um, so uh, we sent a uh, team of interns to the ICU with very strict instructions not to come back until they have a definitive winner for uh, both last week and this week. We didn't threaten to fire them, okay? No. Because that would be... No. That would put us in violation of federal employment law, which we would never do. But we did inform those interns that if they failed in their mission, they would be reassigned to a different, shall we say, less pleasant detail. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, they'd be working for Lance V, who's uh, been demanding his own staff in recent uh, contract negotiations. But hopefully none of that will happen and Phil will be able to have the, the feeding tube removed long enough to pass judgment. So remember, this is a competition. Miles and I don't know which stories the other guys bring to the table. Uh, and it is my leadoff this week. So uh, somebody give Phil some smelling salts or something, because I'm about to drop some very pertinent information for the savvy consumer. And I've actually got, I've got two gear-related stories this week, but surprise, none of them are about janky, sketchy, or questionable products for a change. Mm. Like, this is, this is real gear news. And the first story comes from uh, Kentucky Outdoors Media. Headline, What the Flog? Anglers used a flogger to catch bass on the St. Lawrence River. So to set this up a bit, right, the St. Lawrence that's way up north flows out of Lake Ontario, ultimately to the ocean, um, and it also creates the border between New York State and Canada. Now, if you're a bass freak, you probably already know that the St. Lawrence is like a bronze back mecca, right? Like just mm -hmm. incredible smallmouth fishing. In fact, Bassmaster recently ranked it as one of the top 10 bass fisheries in the U.S., okay? So back in July, Major League Fishing held a tournament on the St. Lawrence. And just to sort of drive home how good the fishing is there, more than half of the 80 anglers competing caught over 100 pounds of smallmouth bass. Jacob Wheeler wow. won with over 222 pounds of bass in two days. Okay. Damn. Yeah, right let's go, now. Let's go fish the St. Lawrence. <laughs> so, yeah, we should. Um, now, because the St. Lawrence is pretty far north, the spawn there happens later, right? It's it's been done where I live for for months, but like early July, right around this time, is sort of the the peak of the spawn up there, um, which is one of the reasons why bag limits were extra heavy. Now I'm, we're let's like we're not going to get off on the controversial act of of fishing to bedded fish. We've covered that here before, and just for the sake of this story, it's neither here nor there because the anglers with the high success rates, like like it or not, were doing it. That's that's what they were doing. Uh, but largemouth bass, now they bed shallow, and finding bedded largemouths is generally a, a sight fishing game. Smallmouths tend to bed deeper. So many of the crafty anglers in this tournament used floggers, which has created a bit of a stir. What's a flogger, you ask? Well, it's basically an underwater telescope. The proper really? name is a bathoscope, right? So just picture a parking cone with handles on the skinny end. I thought this was going a very different direction. I, no. I thought a flogger was something completely different. Continue. Okay. Well, I'd love to know what you thought it was. We'll get there in a, in a minute. Um, so, so you picture a parking cone with handles, and you have to physically lay down on the deck of the boat and put the fat end with the glass lens in the water. Then you look through the skinny end, and the device magnifies the image and helps you see submerged structure and fish on the bottom in deeper water. Well, apparently some folks are arguing that anglers competing at this level should not be allowed to use this piece of equipment to assist in catching fish, especially with the technology they already have on their boats. Now, the author of this article, John Stepp, he says he initially agreed with that gut reaction. So before I go on, I'm curious, what's your gut reaction? Then we'll see if it changes because mine kind of did. I'm, 
I'm a little confused as to how that would be more beneficial than the electronics, right? If I've okay. already got a side scan, I would assume that I can see bedded mm-hmm. fish and find them and mm-hmm. cast to them. So I don't get how the flogger creates that much of a benefit. I guess I'm missing something here. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I was just like more like gut reaction. Like if you just knowing what you already know, be like, yeah, it's cheating or like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe there's more here. I mean, my gut reaction is like, if you're allowed to use all the electronics and side scan, what is this technology? Like, how does that matter? If if it's open season on technology, I don't see why we would not allow this. Fair, fair. Okay. So quick note regarding the electronics. Now, according to this story, and again, I'm not super fluent in all the, the the new stuff out there, but all the fancy stuff these guys have, like you said, side scan, down scan, uh, according to anglers and some of the pros, it's not super effective on fish that are just glued to the bottom around structure that are not moving. Mm. And the bathyscope or the flogger is actually more effective at finding deeper bedded smallmouth than the electronics, okay? And furthermore, like when you're when you're fishing for bedded fish, I would imagine, right? That's like sort of an aggression defensive bite. Right. And a lot of times it's not a hard hit. Like with largemouth on a bed, you you often know to set the hook in in a lot of cases because you watch that lure disappear right. in the fish's mouth. Right. They're right? really they're they're picking it up and moving it most of the time, right. not hammering it. So when you have suspended fish or whatever on, on your side scan, down scan that are active and you can see them chasing your jig on that equipment, that's one thing. But the, the argument here is that like you can't really use that stuff effectively to do what these guys needed to do. So then what Step points out is, is that using a flogger successfully is not easy. Like one must remember that the, the device isn't just to find the fish, right? These guys are presenting baits to these bedded bass while holding the flogger in one hand, dropping a bait on a short rod with the other, all while laying on their stomachs, in some cases in very choppy conditions. So in the piece, they talked to uh, Bradley Roy, one of the competitors, and he was like, yeah, I'm just like sore and broken after spending all day getting up and down, (laughs) laying on the bow of my boat with a flogger. And the article also points out that even if you have a flogger, it takes practice to be able to use it to find what you're looking for. It's not like super intuitive. So um, the the author flipped and said, you know what? Like props for being able to use that awkward, weird, big, it's big. Like it's not this tiny little thing successfully. And after learning about it, like I, I agree a bit more and also kind of feel exactly like what you said. It's like if they're allowed to have all that other stuff, then like, what's the difference? You know, like we have underwater drones now and crap like that. And maybe that's the future. I hope not, but we're not there yet. So for now, like I'll accept, you know, funky parking cone, if that's what you need to get it done. <laughs> I I want to play in that band. Um, and I think, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I mean, so one, this doesn't sound like a fun way of fishing. Like, I don't think this is going to blow no. up on the recreational you side. You see the pictures. These guys are laying on their boats with their heads hanging over the water, looking into a giant parking cone, and then, like, over their own shoulder, dropping uh, a drop shot or tube or whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. see the bite. Yeah, me either. I'm not going to do that. So uh, that that's <laughs> – I, I, don't, I don't see this – I mean, again, setting aside issues around tournament fishing for smallmouth during the spawn – if we're not looking at that element of this, right? If we're taking that out of the equation, I don't got an issue. I, I, I think 
if you want to lay down on the deck with your short rod and your parking cone in the chop and deal with that, <laughs> that's your problem, not mine. I, I think I think we've already covered that other thing that that's a bigger conversation to be had about whether or not we should be holding tournaments for smallmouth during the spawn. But I'm again, that's that, that is not part of today's conversation. That's off the table. But yep. the 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 verb to flog. Mm-hmm. What does what does that inspire for you? What do you think of? Like you you beat the crap out of somebody with a long stick. Yes. Right. Yes. Or or a strap on the end of a long stick. So that's why when you said a like a flogger. Well, so here's the thing. Like I looked up the flogger, and I'm I'm fairly certain that flogger is like a brand name for somebody making these things for bass fishermen. Hmm. But I mean, the proper term is bathscope or aquascope. Got it. Okay. I assume they have other use. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't. Like, if you need to look at something underwater for whatever purposes, I mean, I don't think these were invented for bass fishermen, but now they have funky colors and bass pro sells them and calls them the flogger. Right. All right. Well, uh, I will not be rushing out to buy myself a flogger. I can tell you that right now. Um, yeah. And since we're on the topic of aquatic competition and uh, and the infrastructure around that, I, I feel like I got to point out Olympics, man. man. Yeah. The Olympics are just, they're just wrapping up right now. And I, I don't know. We have not discussed this, but I love me some Olympics. Me I'm, too, but I'm these ones are in. bizarre, dude. Like yeah. there, it was it's weird. It's weird. Every everything's bizarre. We live in bizarre <laughs> world now. And and to your point, I, I really missed having the games last year. Like I get it. We there were yep. lots of things that had to change, and that's fine. But I, I I felt that absence. I felt the void. Can I just add though that I thought it was like weird and also mildly funny that clearly Japan was like, look, we already paid for all the 2020 <laughs> shit. Okay. Yes, yes. The banners, the ribbons, the medals. We are not buying 2021 stuff. And I, I don't blame <laughs> them because they're losing their shirts on this because no one can yes. be there. I feel for them. Yes. Yes. And and the weird thing about the Olympics, and this isn't a unique thought. Lots of people have covered this, but I'm going to say it again. I'll watch just about anything and get excited, like fencing, hand mm-hmm. handball. I don't even know mm-hmm. what that is, but I'll watch it. Swimming. No one cares about swimming, okay? It's like one week every four years we pretend we're huge fans of the sport and like laud these people. <laughs> and I'm talking about myself. I'm not I'm not like pointing fingers, but I would never watch people swim laps in a pool for fun. Nope. And yet here I find myself like cheering <laughs> at the TV while people splash in a pool. I don't get it. And before I started working this, I hadn't thought about it, but the summer Olympics are are they're kind of aquatic. If you if you break mm-hmm. it down, you got you got your swimming. This year surfing debuted for the first time, which was fun. Yep. Kayaking has been an Olympic sport since 1936. And then there's another classic water sport that I would never, never watch except during the Olympics, rowing. And Mm. I am not, no disrespect to the discipline and skill required to be a world-class rower. That is very difficult. But the action in that sport doesn't exactly translate to television, right? Maybe it's more exciting in person. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Because rowing is one of the oldest Olympic sports, but I, I, I don't think it's the most captivating uh, televised sport I've ever seen. Regardless, Tokyo went all out for this, this summer's rowing canoeing events. They created the Sea Forest Waterway Regatta Venue. It is state-of-the-art, built between two man-made islands at the mouth of the Sumida River in Tokyo Bay. The rules of competitive rowing state that, quote, the running of the race 
must not be influenced by natural or artificial waves. And that can be a problem when you're in a bay at the mouth of a river, right? Yes, it could. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a place where waves tend to happen. So the course includes a series of very specific floats that suppress 70% of surface wave action. Constructing this course has come at no small cost, and it was designed to become the epicenter of rowing canoeing in Asia after the games close. Unfortunately, they've run into an unexpected problem. The course was completed in June 2019, anticipating that the games would begin the following year. As we know, 2020 Olympics were postponed, but in August of last year, officials held a test run at the Seaforest Waterway and discovered that the specialized floats were no longer... Uh, floating. Ha. The problem, Mm -hmm. they'd become infested with oysters. That's not a terrible (laughs) problem to have. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's where we're going. The high salinity of Tokyo Bay, combined with the prevalence of phytoplankton at the mouth of the river, makes the spot an optimal growing environment for bivalves. The addition of all that underwater infrastructure gave them the perfect place to attach and thrive. By December of last year, 75% of the floats on the north side of the course were completely underwater. Course officials had to drag entire lines of floats back to shore and clean them, and in certain areas deployed divers to remove the oysters. The cleanup costs totaled nearly $1.3 million. The irony of all this is that Pacific oysters, called Magaki oysters in Japan and Hamahama oysters or Hog Island oysters here in the U.S., are a delicacy. The 31,000 pounds of oysters removed might have been worth tens of thousands of dollars if they had been sold, but they weren't. Mm. One official was quoted in several news outlets as saying, we did not consider consuming them. That would entail safety checks. We want to contain oysters, not grow them. This is the same people. These are the same people that eat fugu, right? Correct. Worried about safety checks? Correct. Like this is Japan. Just I, oysters. I, I, what? But I get the official's point. Okay, right? Like, think about it. They had to deal with enough hosting these Olympics. Like, you got a pandemic. You got a heat wave. They had a cyclone. I mean, safely bringing in these particular oysters that they didn't intend to grow and finding a way to get them to market would be challenging. That's especially true because commercially grown Pacific oysters undergo this rigorous purification process to mm. ensure that they're safe to eat. You can't just, like, pluck them and sell them. But I still feel like there's a lost opportunity here, right? Yes, they didn't, in, they, they didn't intend to create an oyster farm, but they did. And since the plan is to keep this course going, I really hope that after the Olympic dust settles and there's some time to be thoughtful and figure out what to do, I, I hope they might consider finding ways to leverage the course infrastructure to intentionally grow harvestable oysters as well. The, there's, there's an established upkeep budget in perpetuity for this course of $1.5 million. And if they're spending 1.3 of that every year, scraping oysters that they throw away kind of seems unsustainable, right? So maybe they can find a way to make those floats profitable and they can also turn Asia's premier regatta into a thriving oyster farm. I would love to see that happen. That would be, that would be amazing. Um, I do love a good, a good oyster. So I hope that happens. I don't really have much else to say about the outcome of your story, but this has prompted, you know, you talked about rowing being very difficult to watch on TV. Yeah. Have you ever tried to watch it on the water while you're trying to catfish and there's 4 million <laughs> of those crew boats out there with their chase boats running around after you? That's a thing that's <laughs> happened to me several times. 
And I just I have, have to not. say, like, props for the skills. I certainly couldn't do it. But, like, dude, those people think they just own the waterway. And you're you're not going to see it in the next season of Das Boat because I don't think it's going to make it. But, boy, <laughs> we ran into a little issue with this on the Potomac while filming. And it was literally, like, a thousand dudes with megaphones, like, screaming obscenities at us. And at one point, we were in a catfish hole in a channel that was, like, apparently the only safe channel for every crew boat to move through. <laughs> and it was just, like, a constant barrage of what assholes we were while trying to catfish. I really I so. really hope that makes the cut. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, but we'll see. It would be great. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Uh, transition, non-existent. So I'm just going to go along here. Don't have it. Um, I don't know. The Olympics just happened. So did iCast. How about True. that? How's that ICAST for a transition? Did just happened. Yes. Uh, not long ago, the iCast show happened in sunny Orlando. And if you don't know what that is, it's the annual fishing industry trade show. Um, and of course, that was canceled in in 2020 as well due to the COVIDs. They did a virtual thing, um, but it finally fired back up this year. And while Miles and I were not in attendance, I'm I'm still always interested in the goings on at the show. So I, I spent oh, yeah. that week like texting friends, feeling a deep sense of FOMO. 
Uh, and not so much about the show, but like it's been a minute since I took my rightful place as the guy that needs to be swept off the floor at Senior Frogs across <laughs> from the shitty Rosen Hotel I used to stay in. You know, like that's my know. floor to I get wiped know. off of after ten Irish car bombs. Um, anyway, an important thing to keep in mind, which we'll circle back to, is that iCast is not open to consumers. Like you have to be industry connected, right? Whether it's owning a tackle shop or guide service or media. Um, you, you, you have to be on the inside to get in, and that'll come back later. So every year at iCast, they have the new product showcase, which us media types always got an advanced look at, which mm-hmm. was fun. And uh, companies at the show put their best product in the showcase, and then there's this big vote. I voted before I've done some voting. I'm sure you've done some voting uh, for the best new products in, in, a, in a wide array of categories. But then, of course, there's the highest honor, just like at Westminster, best in show. Mm-hmm. Overall winner, Greatest thing at iCast. This year, that honor went to Berkeley's Power Bait Gilly, which is a soft plastic swim bait specifically designed to imitate a panfish. Now, here's why this is newsworthy. While it wasn't always called iCast, turns out, and I didn't know this, this convention has been around for 64 years now. And this is the first time in its history that a lore took overall best in show. Really? Yes. And this was such an upset that there's an entire article written about it um, on tcpalm.com, which points out, and I can vouch for this, right? Best in show usually goes to an electronics company, mm-hmm. maybe a kayak or personal watercraft manufacturer, mm-hmm. and on the yep. occasion, but not always, a rod and reel maker. Yep. Like those are the top three categories that, that take best in show routinely. So this sort of like shook things up, shook some people up. Um, and I'll tell you just a little bit about this bait, but keep in mind there, there's very little out there by way of underwater video or anything like that. Like this is super, super new. Um, and our bud, Mike Iconelli, actually had a pretty big hand in the design. Bait comes in three sizes, 12 colors. And I will admit that um, they look different from other swim bait designs, which is important because like, let's be honest, it's not like, like there's no shortage of soft plastic swim baits out there that imitate bluegills, nope. right? Plenty of them. So the front half of the bait appears to be just normal molded soft plastic, though the head is hollowed out. And according to a sneak peek video Mike dropped, um, that's beneficial for rigging it on a jig head. But you can also add, as he puts it, quote, materials to that chamber to make the bait sink faster or maybe float. The back half of the bait is die cut, and I describe it like a reverse honeycomb effect if that makes sense like have you ever like cross cut a piece of mango and then turn the skin inside out and mm-hmm. flip it out and like all the little sections mm-hmm. pop like that's that's what the back half of this bait looks like and then on the body and the tail there are rudders that according to mike keep the bait horizontal whether it's swimming or falling he says it will land and lay belly down on the bottom always staying upright um and he says there are loads of ways to rig the ghillie which i'm curious about because, uh, however, again, because it's so new, nobody has even dropped like a deep dive rigging video yet. I, I could picture the obvious rigging methods, but it's supposed to be super versatile. So just a few top level thoughts. And here's where I move into the Joe Pontificates chapter. Um, there's no doubt some thought really went into this design. Like, And big congrats to Berkeley for, I mean, making show history. But over the years, I mean, there have been a lot of innovative swim baits in the new product showcase. And while I have no doubt this one will catch fish and be more affordable, I think that's a key point because Berkeley's baits are typically not, you know, they're not, they're not high crazy expensive, yeah. you know. If you're talking straight innovation, can I step back and say, man, like that truly is the most groundbreaking bluegill swim bait I've ever seen? 
I, I cannot. And I'm not putting this lure down. It's just like a point of fact. And my bigger rhetorical question, you know, for you, may, maybe even some of you guys listening will answer via email. I've always wondered, like, does a win of this caliber matter to the consumer? You ever think about that? Like, I have wondered this for oh, many, yeah. many years. Like, here's a show that you, listening, the consumer, is not allowed to go to, and we're awarding products that you, the consumer, hasn't yet been able to fish. So does a stamp on the package when they, these baits are in dicks in a few weeks make you go, oh, shit, like, this took best in show at ICAST? Um, because I, I feel the same way about a lot of these industry shows. Like, I've, I've used many products that took, you know, this category or that at the outdoor retailer, SHOT Show, ICAST, and when you first see this stuff, it's like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. But then on the water, in the real world, it's like, yeah, it's it's not that great. So voting in the new product showcase has always been, like, nifty if you're one of the guys that that, that gets to be there to do it. Um, but I've always wondered, and again, I'm not being snarky. I'm just, like, truly always wondered, like, do seals of approval from these industry shows, like, do the people in Walmart buying it care? Does the average weekend angler care? I have no idea, to be honest with you. But my, I'm going to do a spinoff and say I hope not. Right, because I've always had a problem with the way that these things go down. Because to me, it always felt like such a waste of time. I can't go look at a product, a fishing product, be it a rod or a reel or a bait or a bag or whatever, in a convention center, and like maybe maybe I I cast the rod on a pond or something, maybe, and decide this is the best piece of fishing equipment in here because I have never fished it. I think that is an inherently flawed system, and I've I've railed against this for the entire time that I've ever gone to any of these fishing shows that are industry, and said this is a waste of everyone's time and it's idiotic. So, like, I don't. How am I supposed to vote for what is best in yeah. show when I've never fished with any of these products in the wild? Yeah, and 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 we see very eye to eye on that. It's it's one of the things we've always agreed on. Like, you know, in in earlier parts of our career at Field and Stream and at Gray's, like. I would only talk about a new product that I hadn't fished in the sense of like, this is new, here's what I know. But like a hardcore drill down gear review was always so difficult for me because they have to move so quickly as things change. And I'm like, man, I really like, I kind of want to fish something for six months or a year before I put my stamp of like, this kicks ass. I still feel that way. I do too. It's very hard to do that in our industry because stuff is just constantly changing. To give them credit, that's how Gray's does their gear reviews, or at least they did right. when I was there. Everything was a year late because I fished everything for a year and then decided these are the four things I would actually spend my money on. But the, right. the gear companies hated it because we yeah. weren't featuring their new products. It was the old stuff. But it yep. was actual things that I could go to the readers and say, this is worth your time. This is worth yep. your money. Buy this. Yep. It's great. Well, yeah, I, I'd love some opinions if you guys want to share some. By the way, before you move on to your story, stay tuned because we have another little iCast nugget we in do. this show coming up shortly that I think you guys will appreciate. I, I, I know I do. Um, the only connection I have is that this has to do with the new technology and fish that's also somewhat unproven but potentially exciting. Mm-hmm. Scientists at the University of California, Davis, are pioneering a new technique for studying the life history of fish peeling away and individually analyzing the layers of their eyeballs. Ooh. Much like tree rings, the lenses of fish eyeballs grow in layers, and those layers record chemical signatures from which researchers can determine what kind of habitat the fish was using, how rich in certain nutrients its diet was, and what its rate of growth was at different life stages. 
lead author Miranda Bell Tilcock described it as a little diet journal the fish keeps for us, which is really nice. <laughs> it's cute. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> In order to gather that information, researchers perform what Tilcock describes as, quote, like peeling the world's tiniest onion. I like I like this researcher. I like I like her quotes. They remove one layer at a time with tiny forceps and use isotopic analysis on each one. The intention in this case is to better understand how different habitats in the Sacramento River Delta impact the growth and development of juvenile salmon. The researchers looked at fish raised in three different parts of the ecosystem: the main river, the floodplain, and a hatchery. Initial findings suggest that fish reared in the floodplain which is now mostly standing rice fields, grew more quickly and had additional layers in their lenses. Though the research is currently focused on California salmon, the potential value of this extends to migratory fish species everywhere. According to Tilcock, quote, there are many migratory species all over the world that need freshwater habitat. If you can isolate their habitat and value for diet, you can quantify it for long-term success. In other words, if researchers can understand what parts of the habitat certain migratory fish are, are using and, and having success, that information can influence management decisions and potentially benefit the growth and survival of the fish, right? They can see right. where the fish are going, what they're using, what things are beneficial, what aren't, and, and they can get that, that information pretty quickly and directly. For example, one of the co-authors of the study recently used the technique to study changes in a food web following the construction of a dam in Brazil, Right, So looking at how that changed almost yeah. in real time after they put in a dam. And that researcher described this as, quote, the holy grail of measuring restoration success. So I don't exactly know where this is going to go, but I find it to be just hopeful and fascinating. And the fact that they're cutting open and peeling away fish eyes as tree rings just stuck out at me. Ah, dude, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of good that can come of that if this is, you know, that accurate. Right. Um, I mean, I can think of so many situations where having that information would be helpful here in so many different studies, in so many different rivers. Right, because if you make changes to management or habitat or infrastructure, like within a river, and you yeah, can immediately exactly. see how it's impacting fish growth, that's amazing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's no reverse honeycomb body design on a soft plastic swimming. Certainly not. I think, no. I, I think overall that technology <laughs> will be more impactful for society. Uh, but hey, maybe if Phil does die from his recent accident, they can dissect his eyeballs and, and learn that he has survived all these years on a diet of pure Pez and RC Cola. You know, <laughs> miraculous. Uh, we're not rooting. We're, we're not rooting for that though. We're rooting for a full recovery because our egos need to know who wins this pointless competition every week. Yes, um, yes we do. And with that, let's check in with old Phil and see how he's doing in the ICU. And then after that. Uh, what I guarantee is is, is likely to be um, an awkward bit of tape. We'll move on to another awkward moment in fishing. Um, I think I think this is Phil. I think this is the guy. Yeah, it's Phil. I think. I mean, you can see his hair kind of poking out through the bandages. It's nice quaff. Oh, thank God they saved that hair. Do you think he's awake? Do you think he can hear us? I mean, we're gonna have to try, I guess. You have to try. Do you know how this happened? How did this happen? You didn't hear? No. He built a pontoon boat out of oil drums, but the oil drums were still filled with oil. Oh. 
That's yeah, not the real. smartest idea. But I do really admire oh. Phil. Oh my god! Oh my god. <coughs> there he is. Here, hold his hand. Hold his hand. Okay. Oh, okay. he doesn't oh. have hands. Hold his foot. Oh. Hold his foot. Oh, oh. Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Carl, Maggie. Phil. Yeah, Phil. We're here, Phil. Is that is that you? Yes. Yeah, it's us, buddy. Oh, thank yes, God. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, please, please tell tell Miles and yes. Joe. Tell him anything. That the winner last week. Okay. Was Joe. Oh, oh good, Joe. good, good, good. We will, we will. Tell him I don't blame him for planting this idea in my head. Okay, okay. we'll pass that on. But we need one more thing, Phil, before you go. We need to know who won this week. Won this can week. you tell us? I can. And the winner was clear. Okay. Okay. The winner. Come on, Phil. Yes. Oh. Carl. 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 I think he's, he's gone. gone. Oh no. What do we he, do? You know what this means, right? Do you know what this um, means? N- no. They're going to send us to work with Lance V if we don't get this answer. No. Shut up. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. They got, they got miracles. It's a miracle. Not Lance. The winner is Miles. Hallelujah. It was Hallelujah. Miles. Miles. Okay. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. You're okay. okay. Oh, God. Um, we'll see you later, Phil. All right. Let's go get his hands. Yeah, let's yeah, go yeah, get his yeah, hands. Yeah, okay. All right. We'll be back. We'll Bye, be back. Phil. Take care of yourself. Can someone get me a brisk iced tea? Why don't you take a picture of the last longer? It's uh, it's kind of been a hot minute since we've done an awkward photo, and I must say that's not because you guys aren't sending them. Nope. Okay, you you guys are really doing your part, but I feel like what happens, okay, is after a while, after you do this for a while, it becomes a game of one-upping the last photo. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. the more you do that, the more you like end up waiting for stunners. You know what I mean? It's like you kind of like inadvertently rope yourself into waiting it out. For the ultra gold, which which is are. exactly what we have to do. This this yeah. This segment would get boring if we just threw out random photos that we if we were to do this with photos we weren't excited about. I don't think it would be very exactly right exactly. And and this particular one is it was worth the wait. We have yes. We have a <laughs> I would call it an exceptional, fantastic, layered photo. Might be a favorite <laughs> of mine. I got it. Yes. I, I think it might be. Definitely, but here's the best part, right? This photo wasn't even sent in as an awkward photo. Nope. It wasn't it wasn't even sent to us. Nope. Really. It was forwarded to us from our colleague who who monitors the general mediator account. And the the attached photos were just sort of showing off recent catches, which is pretty common. We get that a lot. Yeah. And we looked at them and we were like, oh damn, that one right there is super fing awkward. So that's what happened. I looked at that photo and I I knew it, it just it was those moments like I knew we were going to have to do a segment on it. But uh-huh. for the first time ever, we had to reach out to a meat eater fan and say, "Hey, uh, I know you didn't actually submit this for awkward moments and angling, but it's really awkward. So can we please trash this on the air? Will you let us do yeah. that?" Yeah, right. And 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 dude was like, "Absolutely." Oh, he but was even, pumped. But he was pumped. But even funnier thing, it's actually a photo of his wife. Well, he's in so, there. He's in. Yeah, there. he he's in there. But he, but it's the wife is the focal point. So he was also kind of saying like, "Yes, please make fun of my wife as well." Like you know, hashtag pending domestic dispute. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I I don't think so, and I hope not. Me too. But here here's the story. The email came from Connor Adley, and he wrote again. He was just sending this to the main mediator account. He wrote this very nice vignette about how he had never saltwater fished in his life before he met his wife, Jessanne. And now it's a huge part of what he does. Her Mm -hmm. family 
has had a property on Bailey Island, which is in Casco Bay in Maine, for a very long time. And she spent summers up there since she was little. When Connor married into the family, he started going up to Bailey Island too. And now he's up there every weekend. Connor has subsequently turned into an absolute striper nut. He's just ate up with it. He yep. loves them. That's right. That's right. So he sent this and he he happened to attach two photos. One is of himself doing a what I'd call like a very just stock grip and grin. An with appropriate a striper, one. appropriate shot on yep. a boat. And the other uh, is of his wife holding a striper. And it looks like she's crying. <laughs> it looks like she is completely uncomfortable, just right on the verge of tears. Yes. Like there, there is angst in the poor girl's face. Okay. <laughs> I Dare I say there is anguish yeah. in the poor girl's face. <laughs> Jacen, who's, who's very, she, she appears to be a very petite person, mm-hmm. is standing at the base of some large, steep, upturned sedimentary rocks. I noticed those rocks. They're very, very pretty rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, right at the edge of the water, she's got one hand firmly gripped right in the right spot, right at the, the, the wrist, the peduncle of the tail. Mm-hmm. And the other hand's got the, the lip grip. It's very close to a classic striper hold. But yeah. it's, just, it's just a little off. Yeah. It's just yeah. like the tail's up a little too high, which makes it look kind of strange. And there's some yep. seaweed obscuring the body. But all in all, the hold's Okay. I also got to say, there's this weird jean jacket that's kind of dangling off on the side in this, and I don't <laughs> With know. Some like, embroidery. There's some. Yeah. Like, it's like monogrammed, very large. I know. I don't that even. Too. It almost looks like it's kind of floating there. I, I'm, I'm wondering if that jean jacket is about to fall into the water. The jean jacket looks precarious, but that's <laughs> there's just Anne for you, and then there's Connor, and he's. He's like he's sort of hiding behind Jasan and and sort of hiding behind the rocks, but he's got his arm sticking out from under her armpit, and it's just like awkwardly tickling the belly of the fish a little bit. He's mm-hmm. he's not even really touching it though, so I'm I don't think he's adding much support. But it's it's his face, you guys. <laughs> it's the look on his face, and it's just peeking out from behind this young woman, and it looks I can only describe it as diabolical. <laughs> right, so then you, you put all this together, and there's Jasan looking terrified. Connor trying to hide with the, just his face and his hands sticking out, and looking evil, and the whole thing just it it looks creepy. It just looks creepy. His face is very sinister. Yeah, it's extremely. It's like sinister, and this is this like, is what I feel com- like he should be twirling his mustache. Like right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible sinister person impression. I didn't think about it long enough. Whatever, keep it in, Phil. Uh, but here's what this is what came to mind when I first saw this. It's like a movie scene where, a, and I don't have a movie in mind, but we all know what I'm talking about here. A bad guy like bumps up against a female victim in a public setting and like sticks a gun in her back and says, yes. Start walking, start walking, and don't say a word. Yes. And then she's got to decide whether to make a move and cry out for help or not. <laughs> Was wait was that Running Man? Was that a clip from <laughs> Running Man? It was. Oh. It was Running Man. And while while it has no further connection, I just feel the need to add this. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. 
Now, you probably thought I was going to go with here's Sub-Zero now, Plane Zero, but that's just no. too obvious. That's the no. most quoted line from The Running Man, which maybe five people listening have seen. I hope it's more. I, I, hope, that one, I hope that one landed. I, it didn't land with me. I'll, I'll say oh, that. Like I, I'm not a fan, and I have – please tell what? me you've read the book. Have you read the book? Did you read the book? You're not a fan of The Running Man. No. No, and I can really? tell you why, but answer my question. Did Have I, you read I, the book? I have never read any of the book versions of any Schwarzenegger movie. No. I tried <laughs> to find Raw Deal in paperback, but it just didn't seem to exist. I see the joke you're trying to make, but I'm going to continue with this line of rationale. It was a Bachman book, which was Stephen King's pen name for a while. Oh, really? Yes. Learn something new every day. And Got the it. book is actually nothing like that overhyped weird game show insanity that they made into a movie. It's actually like a really interesting take on what was contemporary culture in the eighties and, and how we dealt with like prisons. But the movie other than the name has nothing to do with the book. It's, it's so not Buzz, even so, close. So Buzzsaw and Dynamo aren't in the book. They're not in the book. No, no, it no, was like no a totally cartoonish price. Haddad. Yeah. All no. the reasons, all the reasons why I, I did not like that movie. This is still an awkward moment, right? We should probably circle back. <laughs> Guys yes. can tune into our Running Man podcast. That's every Saturday <laughs> on our own channels. Anyway, <laughs> yes, we'll get back to Jasan. We, we got to check in and see if she's safe. The, yes. photo, the photo was so awkward, right, that we, we, we had to reach out to Connor first to get his permission, and we also wanted to get some backstory, and here's what he said. I love fish. And nothing makes me happier than making a small fish look big in a picture. Said every person on Instagram <laughs> ever. <laughs> Whenever Jisan's family took pictures of fish, they were never presented properly to show the true beauty of the fish. They either held it by the lip straight up and down or in an awkward way that made the fish have a J shape. Because this one wasn't awkward. <laughs> Over the last three seasons, I have been working on teaching the family how to present fish to the cameras. And on this beautiful Sunday morning, my wife caught her biggest fish of the summer. I saw how she was holding it, and I couldn't just stand behind her and let that belly sag. So I jumped in while the picture was being taken to support both my wife and the fish. I didn't think my face would be in the picture, and because we like to get them back into the water as quickly as possible, there was no time to take another. Here's the thing, though, Connor, I know from experience, some people just don't want to be taught the right way. I'm thinking of my dad. <laughs> like, every time I try and take a nice picture of him with a fish, he wants none of the instruction. He does not care. Uh, but still, how ironic that Connor here was trying to make his wife and the fish look better, yet we end up with this. Though I yes. think there's, yes. actually, there's actually a lesson here that we can all appreciate and learn from, hmm, okay? A lesson. What 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 Connor and Jessan did not do, did not do, was spend 25 minutes posing with the fish. So mm, props yep. for yep. the quick snap and release. Even if she'd nailed the hold, right? Like, then we wouldn't be talking about her. So I actually no, think this, this turned out yeah. better. This is better. No, this, this worked out but, far better hey, than they ever could have imagined. One shot back in the water. Boom. Yes. As appreciate it should that. be. Well done. Yep. Good. We... That, as, as no one on Instagram ever said right there. Connor, <laughs> thanks for, for kind of sort of sending this to us sort for awkward of. moments on accident. 
<laughs> but really, thanks for letting us use it when we asked. Uh, and I also should add that the majority of our thanks go to Jasan for playing along and yes, <laughs> allowing this to be shared publicly. Yes, <laughs> uh, we hope you're all smiles in subsequent striper shots and and now know how to do the rifle pose that Sermelli claims he invented. I did, though he did not I get royalties. Uh, all of you out there, if you want to see this, you can see the photo on Joe and my Instagram accounts. And if you want your photo roasted here, fire it off along with the backstory to bent at the meateater.com. That was kind of a harsh way to <laughs> teach a lesson on how to hold a fish, but a little bit. I'm I'm willing to bet the next time that we get a photo of Jisan holding a striper, she's gonna be mean mugging like a Montauk Sharpie. Did I, did I did I did I say that right? Did that sound natural? Not really close. <laughs> you just, got, just stick to your West Coast slang. Uh, but yeah, Jess Ann definitely uh, she knows more about stripers than you, even if she doesn't know uh, how to hold them yet. So you know, exposing your your weak fish hold game on a uh, four point five star fishing podcast is it's kind of <laughs> trial by fire. But joking aside, we really did love that photo. That was we a, do. That was, that was one a really of our good favorites. One. Really good. Um, anyway, sort of by accident. Truly, we we've we've woven a, a like a secondary, like a secondary major, like a secondary striper theme into Does that this make it whole a minor? episode. Like a minor, that's what I meant. God, secondary major, minor, <laughs> dummy. Um, and you also you did just mention Montauk, which creates a perfect transition to the end of the line this week. Yes, yes, it does. In honor of a full year recording together, Joe and I are going to tag team this week's end of the line and chew the fat, so to speak. And by fat, we mean delicious, delicious pork skin. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Dietarily speaking, I don't have a whole lot in common with the fish I pursue. I mean, I like crayfish and certain bait fish, but, but I take a pass on night crawlers, grasshoppers, and hot dogs soaked in Kool-Aid and garlic powder. Fish and I do share one gastronomical Achilles heel, though. Bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. Pig fat. Don't tell Steve Ranella, but pork might be my favorite meat. I love elk, antelope, moose, deer, pheasant, grouse, and many, many aquatic meats. But as much as I want to go pure wild game for my protein, I can't quit the swine. Especially when it's cured and salty even though I know it's not the smartest dietary decision. Game fish share my affinity for salty pork, and the history of natural pork baits goes back a good long time. In 1921, a couple fishing buddies named Urban Schreiner and Alan P. Jones had a problem. The pair would spend their summer days fishing bass on Jordan Lake in Wisconsin. Early in the morning and late in the evening, they liked to pitch plugs. But midday, when the plugging got slow, they always switched to live frogs. That year, however, due to environmental circumstances, the specifics of which have been lost to history, Jordan Lake had a frog shortage. The two couldn't find the frogs they needed to keep up the midday bite anywhere, so they got to thinking about which alternatives they might use to replace the absent amphibians. Jones worked at a dairy farm, where one of his jobs was slaughtering hogs and making sausage, so the guy was familiar with pig parts. Throughout that summer, the two experimented with chunks of fatback that still had the skin on, cutting them into different frog-like shapes. 
They wanted to get optimal wiggle out of the legs, but keep enough fat on to create a body profile, provide enough weight to cast, and send out a greasy scent trail for the fish. Turns out it worked pretty damn well, and the next year, the two started the Uncle Josh Bait Company in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. That first year, they offered three baits. The original number 11 pork frog, a bass strip, and a fly strip, all of which were available in just one color. The natural white of cured pork skin and fat. The baits were effective and incredibly durable. Pigskin is tough, but it took a while to figure out how to get the fat back to absorb and hold colored dyes. Their biggest challenge, however, was spoilage. The first few years, opening those little glass jars was an olfactory gamble, as the baits would quickly go rancid and stink far worse than any pack of power bait. Eventually, though, they figured out a way to get the dye to stick and a brine that would keep the flesh fresh. Bass and pike anglers across the country soon discovered the effectiveness of salty pork in little green jars, and the pig in a jig became standard. It's difficult to overstate the impact that this creation had on recreational fishing at the time. Pig strips were everywhere. Spoon manufacturers realized that undulating tails could add action and scent to their flash and vibration and began designing spoons with special rind attachments. Most listeners are likely familiar with the iconic red daredevil spoon and its white stripe down the center. But what you probably didn't know is that Daredevil originally came up with that color design to compete with pork strips. The tagline for that paint job in old ads reads, The stripe, the pork rind, without the grease. For nearly four decades, natural pork reigned supreme. Uncle Josh Bates grew large and successful, and at least three other companies also produced pork rind baits to meet national demand. They added scents and action to artificial lures and caught God knows how many fish. Then came the cream worm and the explosion of plastics. For a while, people kind of forgot about natural skin baits. By the early 1970s, Uncle Josh was the only company making hog hide frogs and strips. All the others had folded. In the late 70s and early 80s, though, some tournament bass anglers started bringing in bags that turned heads. One pair in an Oklahoma tournament set a state record weighing in 20 fish that totaled 129 pounds, 10 ounces, all caught on a pig in a jig. Pork rinds became popular again, until plastics technology outmatched it in the 90s with salt, scent, and the huge variety of colors and designs we're now accustomed to seeing on tackle store pegboards. Even though plastics started to outcompete them, pork rind always maintained a market. There were the old-timers, like my uncles, who swore that a chunk of Uncle Josh's on a weedless Johnson silver spoon would catch fish when they wouldn't bite anything else. And those diehards went into collective mourning in 2015 when Acme Lures, who had purchased the Uncle Josh brand, announced that they would no longer be manufacturing real pork rind strips. Hog production had changed over the course of a century. Pigs were now going to slaughter at six months instead of two or three years, and the skin of such young pigs just wasn't thick enough to produce a quality bait. Everything Miles just said is accurate, but there's another part of this story, one that adds even more salt to that already salty, bacony goodness. I think it might be fair to say that more tears were shed by Northeast saltwater anglers when Uncle Josh announced they were done in the hog trade than by largemouth and pike guys. 
And while the popularity of the pork rind may have ebbed and flowed among sweetwater anglers, Uncle Josh never lost its devout following in the striper scene. In fact, the pork rind, to many surf casters, was as staple a piece of kit as their rod and reel. Uncle Josh had two main saltwater offerings, the Black Widow eel and the sea rind, which was introduced in the late 1970s. The Black Widows came in several sizes, but the biggest measured 9 inches, and that one was only available in white and black. Now, black was arguably the most popular color, and it offered striper anglers an alternative to costly and sometimes hard-to-procure live American eels. Sure, there were rubber eels in the 70s and 80s, but none of them moved like that extra-long piece of black pigskin. I never used Black Widow eels, though sea rinds quickly became a necessity for me in my 20s when I leveled up my surf casting game and started making runs to Montauk, New York. Here, I quickly learned that despite the plethora of soft plastic swim baits on the market, the Sharpies, the old timers, those guys in the know, they rarely touched those. Just as it had for decades, a plain white bucktail jig tipped with a wiggly red pork strip whacked stripers more consistently than most of the new school stuff. I bought a jar of red sea rinds just prior to my first Montauk trip, and that jar lasted me for many, many years. Even after like a solid blitz session and subsequent use at the Jersey Shore and beyond, those things were tough to destroy. As long as you put them back in the jar, they lasted almost forever. In fact, I'd still have that jar if it didn't eventually crack, causing all the brine to leak out. And it's a shame that I don't have it, really, because the black market for pork rinds in the surf scene is still strong. If you're like sitting on a case of Uncle Josh pork rinds never used in jars, I mean, that's like hitting the eBay lottery. In the years following the bad news from Uncle Josh, companies scrambled to make the next pork strip alternative that would capture the market. There were magazine articles, reviews, and comparisons written over which one to use now that Uncle Josh was done. But if you read the comments, paid attention on social media, every time there was a new video of that brand X strip dancing underwater, a bunch of those comments just said, I want my bacon back. Well, good news, although not for the black market pork rind trade. Just a few weeks ago at ICAST 2021, which is the big fishing industry trade show, Uncle Josh flew a banner at their booth emblazoned with three little words. Pork is back. We don't even have all the details yet, but it's a greasy ray of sunshine busting through that dark cloud of porklessness. So that's it for this week. If you're trying to decide what to send us for our birthday, we prefer gift cards. We'd, we'd yeah. take one to Denny's. So we don't actually have to tap into our budget to pay Bob. We'd take one to a nearby hog farm so we can start our own pork rind business in Montauk. We'd take one to AC Moore so we can buy a frame for Jess Ann's angsty striper photo. And we'd also take one to Blockbuster Video just because it would be a cool keepsake. <laughs> if you could find one of those, I don't feel like you might there. have to go on eBay for that. They're we'll also there. take your bar nomination, sale bin items, awkward photos, newsy bits, and anything else that you want to send to Bent at TheMeatEater.com. And in all seriousness, we can't thank all of you degenerates enough for tuning in in the past year. We'd fish with every single one of you guys if we could.
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.